The AA speaker to follow Rana is Bob P. Can we welcome Bob P. to the uh, podium, please? I'm a real alcoholic. My name is Bob Prieto. Hi, Bob. Good day. I'm practicing Australian. I'll be there next month. Uh, when I say real alcoholic, I mean uh, grab your owner's manual. Take a look at page 21, 23, 30, 35, 34, 92, 109. Take a look at the doctor's opinion. And you'll find out exactly who you're talking to. I uh, wanted to congratulate the young lady on her 46 days in that book. That book is the most powerful tool you'll ever come across. It has every answer for every question you will ever have in your life. It has the solution to your life. The program of Alcoholics Anonymous, textbook. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to say thank you very much uh, to the chair for asking me. Uh, it is a privilege to be able to participate in your own recovery, and it is a blessing and a privilege to be able to participate in others. And I am truly grateful. I, I can sit here all night, you know, and talk about gratitude. But what I'd like to do in a general way, like it says on page 58 of my book, it says, I will tell you in a general way what I used to be like and what happened, and most importantly, what I'm like today. Now, I told you I'm a real alcoholic. I have a sobriety date. My sobriety date is the 31st of January, 1984. But I will tell you more, more succinctly because this is an honest program. By the grace of God, the power that I found in a 12-step program in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, I haven't found it necessary to have a drink or anything that affects me from the neck up for 8,762 days today, one day at a time. And yes, I do count my days. I didn't get sober two days at a time or a week or a month or a year at a time. I got sober one day at a time. And I don't care if you've been sober as long as Bluey, and God bless Bluey. And he'll tell you the truth, and so will Chris and the rest of these long-timers. We got sober one day at a time, and that's how we do this thing, one day at a time. And we just connect them, and all of a sudden we wake up, and it's a week, and then it's a month, and on and on. I, I did say it is a privilege, and I am honored to be here. I'm here by, by God's grace, and uh, inadvertently uh, I was running through the internet one day and saw a place I had never been to in Zimbabwe, and they were having a 45th National Convention. I said, oh, gee, let me do that. And I got in touch with a very dear friend of mine. She sits in the front, Jennifer P., lovely woman. She works at a program, and I'm sitting there next to her sponsor, and he's sober 40 years. Uh, but uh, what can I tell you that you might not know? I don't know. I will tell you that you are one of the better-looking group of sick people that I've seen in a long time. <laughs> and, and that's a good thing. But, uh, you know, I was noticing, I wanted to thank the two speakers, the young lady, uh, the first young lady and the Al-Anon uh, uh, young lady. Uh, you know, it's ironic that, uh, you know, in, in this big, ugly blue book that I towed around all over the world, Al-Anon is first introduced in literature, in, you know, to the wives. And uh, that's the beginning of the Al-Anon philosophy. Now, unfortunately, Bill wrote it. Lois talked to him about that. I believe, I believe Lois should have written it. And uh, if you don't believe me, that's why Lois wrote as Lois remembers. Uh, but no, uh, Al-Anons are, are a blessing for the alcoholic, especially if they're in, 
you know, in the alcoholic's life. Alcohol, alcoholism is a family disease. And, uh, you know, for people like us, you know, by God's grace, there is, there is a solution to that. And that solution heals all of those wounds. Uh, so I'm, I was looking at the, uh, you know, amazingly, it says God and higher power and all that in half of those steps. You know, and, you know, I was, I was wondering if there was anybody out there. One young lady had mentioned she was an atheist. And uh, there were some people that come in here uh, uh, had a problem with the word God. God is just a title. It's a three-little word, three-little-letter word that means eh, eh, the guy in the sky, the man with the power, whatever you want to call him, he, she, it. Uh, but uh, we used to talk about it and where I come from, and they'd say, well, if the word God scares you out of these rooms, uh, drink some of that uh, MD-2020. It'll run your rusty butt right back in here. And, uh, you know, but once again, it's, it's, it's your own conception of God. And uh, if nobody knows this, someone had mentioned, they had said something about the spiritual side of the AA program. And uh, the secret is there is no spiritual side. This is a spiritual program. The word God is mentioned 250, 245 times in that book. Uh, matter of fact, it's mentioned 165 times in the first 164 pages. You know, you would think that an idiot like me would figure that out by the time he opened this book and looked in it. But what we're going to do is I'm going to try to tell you in a general way what I used to be like, what happened, and what I'm like today. And before I do that, I will do the most important thing that I will do tonight, and that is I will tell you what the message of Alcoholics Anonymous is in case you have never heard it. I've been to places all over the world, and I've listened to people say, you know, Tradition 5, our primary purpose is to carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. And for those of you who are new and have never heard it, and for those of you who are not so new and have never heard of it, and for some of you that have heard it and might have forgotten it, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. What it says there is that there is a spiritual awakening contained in the first 11 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that spiritual awakening will bring about a vital psychic change sufficient to recover from active alcoholism. Only message we have, we may say it in different words, but what it says is all of our steps are designed to do one thing, and that is to show the alcoholic how to have a spiritual awakening, which will bring about a psychic change in order for him or her to recover from active alcoholism. Now, I was gonna say something borrowed, something blue, something old, something new. If you're wondering why I'm dressed like this, is because uh, I didn't know I was going to be here. I'm in my jeans, someone else's jacket, shirt, and tie. And uh, there was a time where I would have not worried about where I got the clothes. Um, but anyway, I'll, let's get on with this. Uh, what time am I out of here? 10 o'clock? Keep going. Okay. I'm being facetious. I'm not an alcoholic because of of what I drank, where I drank, when I drank, who I drank with, what brand I drank, how much I drank. I'm not an alcoholic because I was born and reared in New York City. I'm not an alcoholic because I was a little street punk. I'm not an alcoholic because I had siblings. I'm not an alcoholic because I had alco an alcoholic father. I'm not an alcoholic because I was sexually molested by my mother's best friend as a child for years as she sat across the table drinking tea with my mother. I'm not an alcoholic for any of those reasons. I'm an alcoholic for one reason and one reason only, and that is because alcohol did something for me that nothing else did. You see, alcohol provided a solution for my living problems. 
Now, I don't know about anybody else who claims to be an alcoholic, but when I started to drink, and I don't even know when that was, I have a scar over the top of my eye here, and I fell off my grandmother's china closet at three. And uh, the story, God bless, that my mother told me before she passed was my grandmother, when they picked me up and cradled me because I cracked my skull open, she said, Dottie, I think he's been in the elderberry wine. My grandfather made good hooch. But I can say this. By the time I was 12, I was a full-blown chronic alcoholic. I was on the streets of New York. People say, well, how does a 12-year-old get alcohol? Well, if you live in New York, you just walk up to the wino, the nearest wino, and you say, get me this, and I'll buy you a pint, and you're off and running. But, uh, you know, so I'm not going to give you a long drunkalog. I've heard enough drunkalogs. Uh, are there any alcoholics in the room? I'm sorry, I meant to ask. Are there any alcoholics here? Then you know how to drink. You know how to puke. You know how to lay in the gutter and look down at people, you know? You know how to wake up in strange places. You know how to pound on a bar and say, how did I get here one more time? So I'm not going to go through all of that nonsense. I will tell you that by the time I was 12, I was a full-blown alcoholic, and it, it provided the solutions for all of my living problems. It's the best way I can say it, you know? And uh, then it got to be fun, you see, in the beginning, alcohol is fun. It's exciting. It's wonderful. It's, I would tell you an exciting story, except I was blacked out for so much of it, I can't remember. You know? But in the beginning, it's your friend. And then it's your friend, it becomes your lover. And then after it sets the hook, then it stops doing for you, and it begins to do to you. And that's where the confusion for an alcoholic like me began. How can you do this to me after we've been together for so long? And, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you just, I'm just going to touch on a few low lights, you know, so you will understand that I am truly an alcoholic. Uh, I, I got into the same idiotic crap that every adolescent that's drinking does. So we can go right past that. And then I did my greatest geographic. It was called the United States Marine Corps. Okay. I would like to tell you I did that for all patriotic and altruistic reasons. But today I find out that it was part of my big geographic but when I was 21 years old, I was a combat veteran. I was, I was bulletproof, and I was in Livorno, Italy, and I thought I'd celebrate my legal birthday. So I got out of the ship, and we were on the beach at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I started drinking at 8.05 a.m., and I drank at every place there was to drink, anything they had to drink, everything they had to drink, as much as they had, and I did that for 14 and a half hours. At 10.30 at night, according to the records from the shore patrol, I was asked to leave this one tavern, <clears throat> I couldn't understand why they would want me to leave. And uh, so I started the Dunnybrook, or a blue, I think they call it in Australia, and after I destroyed the place and they threw me out, the shore patrol got me, they got me to the ship where I collapsed. Now, anybody that knows anything about really seriously, come on, guys, anybody knows how to drink, you know that you can overtoxify yourself and have so much alcohol in you that the bodily functions, I mean the involuntary bodily functions, slow down and then they stop. So what happened to me is I had so much booze in me, I was so toxified, I don't know if there was a blood, a BAC or not. But what happened was I collapsed and my heart stopped. And they took me down, and this is 1968, took me down there and three doctors worked on me and they resuscitated me and they brought me back to life. Then my heart stopped again and they resuscitated me, brought me back. They did this three times. I was flatlined, I was dead. They resuscitated me and brought me back to life by the grace of God and some good doctors that knew what they were doing. Then I lay comatose for three days in a ward, 
And when I came to, my best friend was lying, he was sitting at the end of my bed when I came to, and he was a, a Navy corpsman who was in Vietnam with me, and him and I had been through a lot of stuff. And I looked at him through these bleary eyes, and my head was about that big, and I said, Doc, what the heck is going on? And he says, Bob, you were dead. I said, what? And he told me the story. There was so much alcohol in this body that the voluntary function stopped. And I mean, they resuscitated me, and they had IVs and all of this stuff. And I was 21, and I was a combat veteran, and I was bulletproof. And you know, if there's any arrogant alcoholics out there, any of the fellows that drank like me and were morons like me, you know what I said as an arrogant, egotistical, smart butt alcoholic? He told me the story and I said to him, I'm here now though, ain't I? Party on! You see, I didn't have a problem with alcohol. I didn't have a problem with drinking. You had a problem with my drinking. You had a problem with my alcohol. And if you'd just stay away from me, leave me alone, there'd be no problem. You see, you see, because the, the insidiousness of the disease, alcoholism, the insidiousness of this illness says, you ain't got a problem. You know, party on. So I had, a, I had to disprove their theory. And so for the next almost 16 years, I continued to drink alcoholically, chronically. You know, someone said, are you a chronic alcoholic or a periodic alcoholic? I said, well, it depends on the situation. I drink periodically, and then I drink chronically. Sometimes I drink chronically periodically, and sometimes I drink periodically chronically. <laughs> when you're incarcerated, you don't drink quite as often, you know? When you run out of money or you're, un you're blacked out, you can't drink, you know? But other than that, I'm glad to see some people have a sense of humor. My God, is anybody having fun here? I am. My book says we're supposed to be happy, joyous, and free. And if you ain't happy, you must be doing something wrong. Come on. So here I am, and I'm disproving this theory because, you know, this, what are you going to tell me that I don't know? You see, I'm one of them guys. I know all the answers, you know. And finally, what happens was I had a, oh, I, was, oh I, I meant to tell you, by the time I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I got here behind two suicide attempts. That's how much fun I was having. You see, that's, you know, I, after I died and was resuscitated, it went. And, uh, you know, the insidiousness of that, it's so subtle, you don't even know. You don't even know, you see. I was a chronic, I was an alcoholic for well over 25 years before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I didn't even know that because I didn't know what an alcoholic was until, by God's grace, I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. And they said, good, that's what they are. Ooh. So, I, 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 you know, I'm minding my own business, and I have this one suicide attempt, and that one didn't work out. Some guys snuck up on me when I was going to swallow a hand grenade, and they said, hey, Sarge, hey, Sarge. You know how ridiculous it is trying to put the pins back in a hand grenade after you've already decided to blow your head off? That's one of those God incidences. And then a little bit, you know, a little while later, I'm having so much fun. Now, there may be some people out there who suffered from this really, really, this low-level Ah, this ain't it either. And God, I wish I was someplace else. And man, this is crappy. And you know, I'd, I'd rather be over there. And when I get over there, it's like, hell, it isn't any better over there. Let me go. I didn't know that that was called restless, irritable, and discontent. You know, and here I am drinking at that. So a little, bit, a little while later, I'm out in the middle of the desert on a job, and I'm drinking a liter and a half bottle of tequila, you know, just to cut the edge after work. And you know, I, I you know I had already been married and had children, 
Well, that's the normal context. Alcoholics take emotional hostages, you see. So I had this woman and these rugrats, you know, and uh, curtain climbers, whatever you want to call them. But one more time, I was one more time I was sitting there saying, "What a miserable sob you are." Now I'm just saying this to the guys. I don't know what the ladies call themselves. You know, I don't know, but I know the guys, the macho guys. When nobody's looking, when nobody's looking, and it's midnight, and we're by ourselves, we're tearing our guts out and saying, "You dirty." So one more time, I was doing that. So I figured I'm going to take myself out. I pull my nine mil. I pull my nine mil out. And I was real. I was going to take. I was going to. I put plastic on the wall because I didn't. No, I didn't want the maid. The way the maid to have to go through all of this. You know what I'm saying? Just take the plastic down. So I. But here's what happened. That second suicide attempt. I'm sitting in a pitch black room and I'm feeling miserable. I'm on my pity pot one more time before because I'm full of. I'm full of fear and guilt and shame and remorse and confusion and my life stinks and nothing's working and I'm pulling the trigger back. And my hand freezes, and in this blackened room, a light comes on. Maybe it just came on in this moron's head. But I'll tell you this. This is what I heard. How dare you take your life? I don't care who you think you are. You will not take yourself away from those children like your father took himself away from you and yours. Now, I dropped my gun, and I sat in that room, in a darkened room, and I cried like a baby that night. And that was the beginning of thinking that maybe I have a problem with alcohol. And so I went home. I went home, and I went home, and I went to this. I I, I had this future black belt Al-Anon in my life, and uh, I mentioned it to her. I said, "Sue," I said, and I mentioned this thing about. I didn't tell her about the suicide attempt. I mentioned to her that I said, "You know, I think that I might have some small, minuscule, maybe possibly <laughs> problem with with you know drinking." The woman fell off the chair. <laughs> Then she sits back up and she says, "No, kid." <laughs> Now, are there any alcoholics in this room who, you know, I mean, like you're stunned, like, why am I the last one to know this? <laughs> uh. So then I made this mistake. And if you're an alcoholic with an Al-Anon or a potential Al-Anon in your house, do not do this. <laughs> well, what do you think about it? What's your side of? <laughs> Forty minutes of unadulterated. I'm gonna tell you about all those years, and she was not releasing with love. <laughs> so anyway, these people that loved me better than I could love myself at the time had an intervention on me, and they got me in front of this guy. And this guy, they got me under this pretext, and they get me in there, and he he gives me that idiotic uh, Saint uh, John Hopkins uh, hospital test, the twenty questions. At least, and, he, and I take it. He said, "Just answer him honestly." <laughs> I give it back to him. He goes, oh. "He says, man." He says, "You only got one wrong." I said, "Oh man, I, I thought I like I got them all right." He said, "Well, if you get like more than two right, you're an alcoholic." I said, "Whoa, retest." <laughs> so then what happened was he said, "Well, let's put this down and let's get real." And then he started telling me about me, but he was calling it himself. This guy was a recovered alcoholic in Alcoholics Anonymous, and he was telling he was telling me his story. And you know what? Everything this guy said registered. Boom, bang, bing, boom. So I got the Bill Wilson. I said, "Whoa, self knowledge. I know what. The, yeah, all right." I said, "I'm an alcoholic. I understand now. Cool." 
And they were going to put me in a they were going to put me in uh, treatment or whatever that kind of stuff is in the military. And uh, he says, "Can you stay sober, you know, until I get you in?" I said, "Not a problem, Bill Wilson. Not a problem. You know, I knowledge. I know the answer. I'm an alcoholic. I can do this." And uh, couldn't get me out of use. Couldn't get me in. So he says, "Well, can you?" I said, "I know. Not a problem." So one more time, I pulled old Will out. You know, willpower, and I was going to be sober on self knowledge, and I did good for a week. And on day eight, day, I love the number eight, day eight, I felt so glorious about having been sober one more time. For like eight whole days, I thought I'd celebrate. <laughs> and if you're an alcoholic, are there any alcoholics in the room? If you're an alcoholic, I don't know how to celebrate except, you know, maybe just have one. But then I didn't know what one I wanted. And I was a wine, I was a wine connoisseur by that time. So I, I didn't know if I wanted red, white, or rosé. So I bought a bottle of each. And... Uh, what happened was I, I went home, and you know, but this was, this was the beginning of the end of the last drink. I drank those three bottles, and of course, if you know anything about wine, you drink them cor correctly. You drink the most sweet wine first, then you drink the less sweet, then you drink the red. <clears throat> you don't want to ruin your palate. But what happened was, I, one more time, I, I passed out on my floor in the middle of the living room. Real alcoholics sit on the floor with their elbows on the furniture so they don't have to fall very far. And you know, what happened was, there was that hideous morning that I woke up the next morning, and the power of this disease struck me squarely. And it was, you gave this man your word. You knew what the thing, he told you. You understood to the very depths of your soul you were alcoholic. You knew that to be the truth, and yet you were powerless. Now that struck me and that struck home and then I understood, I understood the power of step one and I had taken it, that last drink. And I was running around like a crazy man for like three days back and forth and I was someone had left an AA pamphlet or, or, or directory or something. And in America we have these little arcade games where you got the bear and he goes bing and you shoot it, he goes bing and you shoot it, he goes bing. Now I'm doing that in my house. I think I'm gonna to go to one of the main meetings, I'm gonna to go to one of the main. And my future Al-Anon is going, my kids are going, uh. So anyway, I, she, she says, ah, what are you doing? I said, I've got to go to one of the main name meetings. And because, out of respect for the ladies, she says to me, you don't have a hair on your backside. That's the nicest way I can say that, ladies. And, uh, oh, if you're a real alcoholic, you get a resentment about that one. <laughs> How dare you talk to me like that, bitch. And uh, so I got a resentment. That's how I got to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I jumped on my motorcycle, didn't know where I was going. My motorcycle did, another one of them got incidences. It went right off the base, down the highway, went into another city, took a right and a left and a right and a right, and, and then it was like this, 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 you know, this building. It was a school building, elementary school, and there was lights and there was laughter and I smelled coffee. I immediately turned my motorcycle off, turned the lights off, and this is nighttime, so we didn't want to be too obtrusive. And I slid into the parking lot. Black night, clouds, no stars. Black motorcycle, blacked out. Sneakily putting it under the tree. You know, there's a shadow under the tree at a dark night, overcast. Hey, the meeting's over here. Oh, jeez. There's this old timer, this old timer, this idiot. He's standing in the doorway. And the light shined behind him, and you know, I didn't know what he, I go, uh, and he says, ah, resentment number two. 
Do not yell at an alcoholic who, does not, who wants to remain anonymous. So I'm going to go over and tell this old man, Jesus, don't be yelling at somebody who will hear you. I'm in another town. They don't know me. You know, every Saturday morning, my name was in the paper. I mean, how anonymous am I? You know, there he is, arrested one more time, drunk and disorderly. So I go up to the door, and I'm going to tell this old man, you silly goose. And, and I, I get to the door, and he sticks his hand out, and he grabs my head. And he looks right through me with these two crystal blue eyes. I mean, they sparkled. They were alive. And he grabbed my elbow with his other hand. He says, welcome home, son. I don't know about anybody else. My heart stuck up in my throat. I couldn't say nothing to the man. Because I don't know about anybody else that's ever come to the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous broken. You see, he said, welcome home. And nobody was welcoming me anyplace, not even in my home. When I came home, my children used to look to see what condition I was in before they knew if they would stay or run. And this man didn't even know me, and he put his hand out to me. And he said, come on, let's get a cup of coffee. And he brought me to the coffee bar and got me half a cup of coffee, and because he knew I couldn't hold the whole one. And then he said, let's sit up in the front, he said, so you can hear what's going on. You don't want to sit in the back in the half-measure section. He said, they're all busy back there doing something. I don't know what the hell it is they're doing, but they're, you know, they're busy. You know, where I come from, the old-timers sit in the back, but they sit by the door so you can't get out. Where are, you, where are you going, son? We're not done yet. I am. No, you're not. Shut up. Sit down. First three steps where I came from was shut up, get in the car, and sit over there. You know? So he sits me down in the front. And then they, you know, somebody got up. Some, some, some young girl got up and said, Hi, my name is Nancy, and I'm an alcoholic. And everybody said, Hi, Nancy. And I said, What the hell did she just say? And then she said, and she started reading this stuff. Hokey pokey pokey, how do we do this? And we, you know, like step one and two and three. And, and then somebody else came up and said, My name is Fred and I'm an alcoholic. First tradition is. I said, What did he say? Now, what happened was everyone who got behind the podium, or, you know, who was going to address this, this meeting, this group of people, they were saying, Hi, I'm Bob and I'm an alcoholic. And everybody, yay, Bob. And I knew immediately they had absolutely no respect for themselves. What the hell was wrong with these people? You know? There's something, that, that I was in a mental defective ward or something, you know, with coffee. But that was the beginning because what happened was, what happened was, I'm sitting there and they go on and, you know, you don't, if you're new in the first meeting you ever go to, you're like, ah, you know, what's your name? Ah, you know? And, uh, so then he said, and I'm sitting right there, and he's sitting next to me, the old dog. <clears throat> he was a junkyard dog, Charlie Tuck, Chicago, 25 years sober at the time. He was a mean piece of work, used to work for the mafia. Uh, he's gone, now I can blow his anonymity. Um, but we're sitting there, and towards the end, he's, he, no, he goes like, wink, wink to the girl. Wink, wink. And she goes, are there any newcomers in the room tonight? And everybody goes... How do they know? I mean, that night, I didn't have any vomit on me. You know, I thought I was well quaffed, you know. But they look, I guess it's the smile, or the look on you. You know, you had that cornered rat look. Ha, ha, ha. Then he says, Oh, would the newcomer like to say something? <laughs> well, 
having been a combat Marine all my life and coming up in the streets of New York, and I'm a tough kid, and I'm there on two resentments now, which have sort of mellowed out. Don't challenge me. Yeah, I'll say something. You know? And what I did was I got up there, and I, and I well, of course, they, they had said, is there any alcoholics in this? My traitorous arm shot up, and I said, you dog. You know? and, uh, but I got up, and I, and, I, and I said, my name is Bob, and I'm an alcoholic. And they went, yay, Bob! And then I started to tell them about how truly, truly tragic. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, the stuff that we put ourselves through. If anybody else on this planet would have beaten me as badly as I beat myself with alcohol, I would have killed them. And And I went to tell them about how desperate and how broken and how confused and full of fear I was. And I said something like that, and I, and I heard his laughter. Huh? And I said, oh, resentment number three. <laughs> and then I said something else again about how desperate I... And then I heard the AA laughter. You see, what I heard was I heard the AA la- I heard they were laughing with me. They weren't laughing at me. They were laughing with me, and their laughter was covering the pain that I felt because they had felt that same pain. And they were sharing that burden with me. You know, that old man that met me at the door said, son, he said, you don't ever have to feel the way you feel tonight ever again. We have a solution for you. It's called Alcoholics Anonymous. And it works anytime, place, anywhere for anyone. But not one second sooner than they're willing to do what's got to get done. I said, oh, the hook. You know, I was, taught, I was taught very early on. See, that was my beginning. I was taught very early on. Recovery is not a spectator sport. You cannot recover from alcoholism sitting in rooms, drinking coffee, lying through your teeth, telling everyone how wonderful you are today. You can't sit around and do nothing besides not drink if you're a real alcoholic. Because what's happening is they took the only crutch away from you. Now you hurt. When people say... Oh, sobriety is like real, man. Like, oh, yeah. You're going to feel some real pain. You're going to feel some real... Why? Because if you don't do it, if you don't take these steps, if you don't get immediately involved in participating and saving your own backside, you're sitting around with an untreated case of alcoholism. So many of the people in these rooms are dying today because no one says... The fellowship is for you to come to to feel safe, to understand that you are not alone, to know that you are part of. But fellowship is not recovery. Recovery comes from the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, which was written 72 years plus ago. It's never failed. Never. Never have I seen anyone fail who has thoroughly followed this path. Never. Thoroughly have I seen people fail who never follow this path. <laughs> Duh, what a concept. Oh, you feel like I got to do something? Like, well, you know, you want to live or you want to die. You know, we got a program that's so simple that there are alcoholics who sit around and say, there's got to be a harder way to do this. <laughs> Let me reinvent something. I don't like the way that's written. Oh, well, I'll do that, but I don't think that I really want to do that. Well, we don't care if you want to do that or not, because you don't know nothing. Alcoholism is not a disease of denial. You can't deny something that you don't know anything about. It's an illness of ignorance. 
It is so subtle it tells you I don't have it. Don't worry about what they're telling you. Come on with me. Alcoholism is suicide on the installment plan. That's how subtle it is. And we lose people all the time because we have well-meaning people in these rooms. We have kind, loving, generous people in these rooms. And they tell them stuff like, just don't drink and go to meetings. I'll tell you what, if you're a real alcoholic like me, that ain't going to work. Or they say things like, just, don't, go, just uh, don't drink, go to meetings, and don't drink no matter what. Well, if you're a real alcoholic like me, you drink no matter what. You see, because I didn't know that there was an alternative. I tell, I, I tell you again, I was, I was a chronic alcoholic for over 25 years, didn't even know that was the problem. I got to the Alcoholics Anonymous, I got a sponsor. I told you I like that number eight. I was eight days sober, and I asked this man to be my sponsor. And he said, I'll be your sponsor on one condition. I said, what's that? I see, and I'm just saying this for me. And if there's anyone else out in this room, I hope you are as desperate as I was when I got here. I hope you've run out of friends. I hope you've run out of enemies. I hope you are desperate enough to be able to do one thing, and that is to listen like only the dying can. Because if you got alcoholism and you don't believe you're dying, you're in bad shape. But I'll tell you once again, we have a solution. It works 100% of the time without fail. So I said, I said, I'll be your sponsor on one condition. I said, what's that? You allow me to make judgment calls on your life because your judgment stinks, pal. He didn't say it quite that nicely. But he knew who he was talking to. He said, there's nothing that you know that I need to know. Your best thinking got you here. He said, oh, by the way, does your village know it's idiots missing? <laughs> oh, you talk to me like that. Alcoholics are sensitive people. But no, what he was doing, he was trying to drive a little humility into me, and he was giving me a reality check and a sobriety check at the same time. He wanted to know if I was serious about this thing. Of course, my book tells me if you're not serious, hey, we're not going to tie you up with chains and all that stuff. Go try, some more, go try some more controlled drinking. The only two things I lost that mattered in my life, as far as my alcoholism was concerned, is I lost the ability to, to control and enjoy my drinking. I, I was powerless over alcohol then, just as I am powerless over alcohol today. You see, that's the one. And because I didn't have that choice, because I was powerless, it led to that other thing. And that was, and I'm going to tell you, you know, this is a real sneaky thing to throw on you people. I lost Bob, you see. I've been at thousands of meetings. I've listened to people say, I lost the flash car and the wife and the job and the blah, blah, blah. All the material crap that means zero. I came in here, there was nothing. I had prostituted my soul for the next drink. I had done things that I never thought that I would do. You know, when your baby, when your three-year-old baby walks around in the corner at night and sees you breaking her piggy bank so you can steal her money, my God, if that's not degradation, you know? But that's what alcoholism was nice enough to me to do. But the important thing was I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I got real busy because I got here right on time. I had, no, I, I had no desire to continue to kill myself. And so he said... I'll make those judgment calls on your life because your judgment is shaky at best, pal. I said, well, what do I have to do? He says, you have to change. I said, change what? He said, for you, you change everything, pal. He said, you can start with that filthy mouth of yours. I don't know about any of the macho guys here, 
But I tell you, one, I've never read one foul word in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. I've never read one foul word in any of our literature and, and or in Al-Anon literature. Not a foul word. Why do I need to impress you with my ignorance? He said, we'll start with your filthy mouth. He said, then we said, we'll change your behavior and your attitude. The way you look at things, your perception. It's all cockeyed because it's all alcoholic. Because it comes from an alcoholic mind that does not know how to process life. You see, that's why you drink. Because it's not the alcohol. It's you that's the problem. And you use alcohol as the fuel to propel you through life because you are helpless. You know, you're not hopeless, knucklehead, because I'm here. And I'm going to help you. And I said, well, how do I change? He says, oh, we got these 12 steps. He said, they mean absolutely nothing to you right now, and you don't understand them, and I don't care if you understand them. He said, but you know what? We're going to learn all about them, and we're going to take them, and you know what? You're going to recover from alcoholism. Now, you'll do what I tell you to do, or, door two, or you can fire me and go find somebody that wants to agree with you, knucklehead, because you're so smart. Now, for the macho guys that come in here like me, I knew all the answers when I got here. They just weren't working anymore, you see. So I had to find some answers that would work because I was tired of killing myself one day at a time. You know? And that's what I did. Now, I'm going to tell you, I am not a rocket to stardom. I jumped on this thing immediately. One, two, and three. We, we went through this book. I, I mean, I was that quick uh, because I was so desperate. There are people who can sit in the rooms. I don't know. Maybe they're high bottoms. I don't know what they are. I found my bottom, and then I wallowed in it, and then I kept going lower. When I got here, I was ready. So I got into this thing. I couldn't sit around. I had to actually take these steps in order to recover from alcoholism. I was 40 days sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, and then the Marine Corps, in their infinite wisdom, finally got me into treatment. 40, year, 40 days sober, and I'm a ball of fire. And I mean that literally. I was so, de I was so desperate to recover that I actually wanted to do this stuff. I was, get I was getting happy, joyous, and free before I even knew about those blessings. And they put, me in, they put me in treatment, and they actually slowed my recovery down. Now, they did. They morons. And uh, I called my sponsor up to complain. Hey, Jack, they want to put me on an abuse. And I, told, and I told him, I'm in AA now, and I'm working these steps, and I don't need it. It's a crutch, and da-da-da. And the guy said, okay, you don't need to take it. Jack said, you take their an abuse and do everything they tell you because you're there, and it's their thing, not yours. Okay. And he said, oh, by the way, we've already discussed four, and I showed you where it was in the book, and we'll go over it a couple more times when you get out on the weekends, and yada, da, da, da. He said, and I know you get nine, so on day 90, we're going to do your fifth step. Okay? Day 90, I did my fifth step, and then we did that. See, so so the fourth step, the first two steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, you don't do them like any of the other steps. They are, they are conclusions of the mind that the alcoholic makes based on the doctor's opinion and the first four chapters. I am powerless because I have an obsession of the mind that says you've got to drink, and I throw it into an alcoholic body that cannot handle alcohol, and the phenomenon of craving begins. That's why I always end up drunk. I'm powerless. Duh. Step two, solution. Power. Step two, solution. Power. The power to recreate your life, to bring you back to sanity. From the Latin, sanity means wholeness. So step three, do I want to remain powerless in one or do I want to take this power? Oh, geez, that's, that's like a no-brainer. I think I'll live. So I make a decision to seek that power. So we did four, and four is a position report. It's not a crappy little story of every crappy little thing you've ever done in your crappy little life, Bob. 
It's not an autobiography. It's not 200 pages of everything that you can remember. No. In the book, it says we go through our lives, yes, but what we do is we identify our resentments, our fears, and those we have harmed. Not when I was sick, little Ricky, and I, no. It's a position report. And I did the position report, and then I did step five with my sponsor, and that is an objective human being. After I had spoken to my father, and somebody said, well, why do I got to talk to God if he knows everything? You know, he knows it. Well, it says so in the step, but like any other parent, if the child comes to the parent and brings their broken toys, brings their problems, brings their whatever to the parent, the parent loves them enough to listen. And that bond of trust develops because the child trusts the parent and the parent trusts the child. That's why I talk to my God. That's why we talk to our God, whoever he, she, or it may be to you. And after that, I sit down and I get this objective human being with me who's already been through this stuff. And he says, okay, you see what the problem is, knucklehead? It's you. Look at the things that are broken. Those are the things that we will repair. Those are called amends because of character defects and shortcomings. But look at the things that you have, the assets that you have. We will hold on to them. We will develop them. Because not a human being on this planet who is an alcoholic is, is just a nothing zero. Every one of us are children of God, and there's that God spark. That's why this is an inside job. We don't like what he created, so we're going to recreate something else through booze and our own arrogance and our own self-will. And when, we're, and, and, when we're, and when we do that and we beat ourselves into submission and we beat ourselves into a state of reasonableness to, reasonableness to where we can come back and listen to the truth, I'm not going to beat anybody up with the Bible, but someone, some says, I am the way and the light. Won't you beat you up with that? But that's what he said. We've got the position report. Now here's the direction we go. And he said, now go home and see what it says in that book. And I got in chapter 6. Into action. Notice it doesn't say into thinking says, into action. This is a program of action, spiritual action. So I read what it said. I said, well, that makes sense to me. Do it. Ring them up. Hey, Jack, oh, come on over. We go through over six, seven. Oh, I think you've got it. Good. Write your eight-step list out right now. Where does it come from? Well, it comes from the fourth-step inventory names that you got there. Don't burn your inventory until after you're finished with nine, okay? Because that's where you get all your information. Fourth step gives you the information for five, six, seven, eight, and nine. So we did that, and day 91, the next day, I started my amends. Now, it took me longer to do my amends than it did to do the first eight steps. But I'll tell you what, because I was so desperate and I had to do these things, I have never looked back. I have never found it necessary to cop out, give an excuse, do any of that, and most importantly, I've never had it, found it necessary to have a drink or anything that affects me from the neck up because this program works and the power of this program. You think alcohol is a champion? We got the greatest champion in the world on our side. His name is God. He's undefeated. Plug into him, Bobby. So I did that. And I made those amends. And I was finished with the first half of these steps. And then the second half of our recovery program, 10, 11, and 12. When I do 10, I'm doing the first nine steps all day long, repeatedly, over and over and over again. Because when I've done the first nine steps, what have I done? What have I done? I've gotten right with Bob, I've gotten right with God, and I've gotten right with the rest of the universe by virtue of doing those steps. And so I'm balanced. So how do you stay balanced? You continue to do these, all of these steps. 
continuously all day long through 10, and you develop the willingness to plug into that unlimited power, 11. Well, I don't know about anybody else. I talk to my God every morning. I talk to him every afternoon. I talk to him every night. Every morning when I'm conscious, before I open my eyes, I say, thank you, God, for bringing me through another night. Thank you for bringing me into another day of life and another day of sobriety. Thank you for my life and for my sobriety. Thank you for all you've given me. Thank you for all you've taken away. Thank you for all you've left. Thank you for the things that I'm unaware of. Thank you for the things that I take for granted. And then I do my third and seventh step prayer. And a secret, I know you know this, but I'll tell you, secret, the third and seventh step prayer are one prayer when you put them together. You see, the third step prayer is the initial contract. I'm going to turn my alcoholic thinking and my alcoholic behavior over to you when I find out about all this mess. I'm going to clean it all up, and now I'm willing to let you have all of me so we can fix the rest of it. Period. Amen. Every Christian prayer on the planet ends with amen. Third step doesn't. Seven step. Second half does. I do these things, and I do 10 every day. And I talk to my God at night. I check in with God at night in my 11th step, and I review my day. How did you do in 10 all day, Bobby? You know what the toughest part of the 10th step is? Come on. I know, I, know, I know the old timers know it. I hope they do. Toughest part of step 10, after I review my day, how I did those nine steps. Have I been kind and loving to all? Oh, my God. You know, it may sound funny, but it's the truth. I mean, you know, that dirty SOB that I don't like anyway gave me a dirty look when I walked in. What's his problem, you know? Maybe I should have went over and said, what's going on in your life? What's happening? Can I help you? You know, now, if I didn't do that, maybe I'm remiss, and maybe I'm not quite as sober as I thought I was. But that's what that says to me. But so I do that, and then at 11 in the morning, I go through the, I go through the rest of the 11-step prayer. There's four prayers, there's six different sets of directions, and there's nine promises. I'm going to finish up and tell you, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say some things that I know that you know, or that you should know. People say there are no musts in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's cockamamie nonsense. It says the word must appears in Alcoholics Anonymous in the text 149 times. Now, it says must in the first, in the recovery pages, only 76 times. But the word must means, like, probably you should pay attention, Bob. Like, you know, his, you know, his recovery must come from a power greater than himself. And, all, you know, all these subtle little things, you know. I can't tell you you must do it the way I do it. See, because the bottom line is, the bottom line is my, group, my, my friend Chris in the United States, he's 50-some-odd years sober, he says, uh, Bob, I don't give a damn what you do. I give a damn about what it is I do, and I give a damn about what it is the people I sponsor do, and my, my, my God gives a damn about what I do. So he said, it's, once again, it's, on, it's your responsibility. If you're not recovered, it's your responsibility. If you're not happy, it's your responsibility. Sit around whinging. Take the action that'll clear that up. And then when you do that, when you do that, then you are prepared, Bob, to do what? To practice the 12th step, and that is to be of service. You know, for all of the people that come in these rooms like me and we're big shots, you know, it's all about us. What happens is in the beginning it's about you because you're so sick you have to learn how to recover. But after you have recovered, then you find out what the truth is. It's all about everyone else. The highest you'll ever get in Alcoholics Anonymous is servant. What a blessed title. What a blessed title.
Page 77, what's my job? To be of maximum service to God and to my fellows. It says it repeatedly, over and over. Goes back over in 109, it says, you know, I'm well recovered. I'm supposed to go to sordid places and seek out sick people and to deliver the message of life to them so that they may have the same opportunity that I was given by people who loved me in rooms like this when I couldn't love myself. How dare I not recover when I have the solution in front of me? How dare I not recover and help other people who are dying outside these rooms? People in Alcoholics Anonymous. The Alcoholics and Alcoholics Anonymous are the most fortunate alcoholics on the planet. We're the only people that know what the hell an alcoholic is. More importantly, we're the only people who have a solution. And outside this room, there are people dying and you know it. Because they don't even know we exist. They don't believe in this magical thing. And it ain't magic. It's miraculous because it's a God thing. I didn't know what I was going to say tonight, and all I can tell you is that if, a, if someone who came in here as broken as I did, crushed under the weight of this illness, could recover from alcoholism, then everybody and anyone can come here and do the same thing. But you don't get it through osmosis, and you don't get it from somebody else. Nobody in this room, nobody in this room can give you sobriety. I can't get you drunk, and I can't get you sober. You have to make, you have to do that for yourself. You have to take these steps and and make make a definitive attachment to a power called God, who will restore you, and that old life will be be gotten away, and a brand new one will be created, and that life will work anywhere because this is about a design for living, not a design for dying. This is a design for living, not for suffering. I can't tell. If you don't understand the magnificence of this program, I don't know what to tell you. I just don't. My life works today. I like the guy that lives inside this skin. I actually like the guy that I see in the mirror. I don't have a knot two inches behind my belt buckle. My children all came back. My grandchildren, God bless them, they've never even smelt a drink on the old man. My grandchildren love me. They run to me, Grampy, Grampy, when are we going fishing? And then I have the privilege of feeding them cake and ice cream and screwing up their diets and bringing them home to their parents. And they say, well, let's wash up. We're going to eat. Oh, mommy, I'm not hungry. I, I was with grippy. Oh. You know, I'm going to try to bring that, that, that uh, New Zealand ice cream, hokey pokey. Man, I love that stuff. But if you're a real alcoholic, you've got a gallon of ice cream or a liter of ice cream sitting around. But I love spoiling my grandkids. It's called revenge. That's how you get back to your kids. I'm glad to see that we have some people who are recovered because they can laugh. I, I mean, my God. You know, it's, it's been said over and over so many times. We, we cried a million tears to get here. Why would we want to sit around and procrastinate in untreated alcoholism and drag this recovery on and be miserable, vested in the room? Oh, life stinks. And yum, 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 yum. Okay, go home and have fun. Uh, you know, I sponsor people, they sponsor people, I have a sponsor, he has a sponsor. My last sponsor from California, I got sober in California, my last sponsor passed away last year with 55 years, 2 months, and 17 days. You know, he didn't count his days. That's all right. 
And, uh, but once again, I, I had to do those things that were necessary for me to do because I was so desperately ill and I was dying from alcoholism. And the bottom line is the magnificence of this program, the absolute perfection of this program is it will never fail. It always works 100% of the time if you do 100% of the work and then you continue to do 100% of the work and then you give it away freely. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Bob. That brings us to the end of the sharing part of uh, this meeting. I'd like to thank all those uh, that spoke, Val, Rana, and lastly, uh, Bob. And I'd like to thank every single person in this room this evening. And Bob's right, you know. I have a saying that uh, no one here came here into any of the fellowships by mistake. But sadly, many of us may leave. It's been wonderful uh, being a humble servant up here and to hear the laughter and to listen to the silence as well. Afterwards, um, I'm told that uh, you can let your hair down at the disco, there's cups of tea and coffee, and um, also um, a short message that um, we gather again at the National Convention in Wellington, and they've got some dates for that, Friday the 16th to Sunday the 18th of January next year, January 2009, venue and theme to be confirmed. I think that's all the announcements that we have. I'd like us all to stand and we will, uh, if you so desire, hold hands and we'll say the serenity prayer together. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. I'm coming back, it works, it works.